Hi everyone, my name is Erica. I'm our student ministry pastor. I'm one of our teaching pastors here on staff. I'm so glad that you're here with us as we continue in our series, He Gets Us. Now, around here, again, I've got like a multitude of titles. We've talked about this before if you've joined us in previous online sermons. Um, but I am definitely like by far our most emotional pastor. And it's not just like I cry a lot. It's just whatever is swirling around, I am feeling and I'm feeling it like sometimes very deeply, sometimes less deeply. It, it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. Um, and and we were, I, I, I was talking about this with uh, some of our pastors on staff. And I said, you know, like, this is how I'm feeling like I want to open this sermon. And, and they're like, well, we don't want the takeaway to be just like women are super emotional, which is fair. Here's what I'd like to remind you. Uh, we're recording this. Uh, this is going to show in March of 2023, uh, but we're recording this in February of 2023, and the Super Bowl has recently happened. And there was a commercial in the Super Bowl um, where it made it look like if you had a smart TV, someone was clicking out of the app that you were using to watch the Super Bowl and going to something else. And I saw those reaction videos of rooms of men screaming, yelling. Maybe they weren't crying, but there was a there was a reaction. Those are, um, those are called emotions. So I think actually we're all secretly emotional people. Uh, we just don't like to talk about it. But that's a whole different sermon for another day. But I just want us all to be comfortable with this idea. Like we have emotions. They're okay. That's kind of some groundwork for where we're going to go today. But anyways, these emotions have deep feeling emotions have like been part of me from the beginning. One of my mom's favorite stories to tell comes from when I am the age of six. It is the year 2000 and the Tigger movie is fresh in theaters. Now, if you've not seen this movie, it has been out for 23 years. I am going to spoil it and I am so sorry. Like if you need to skip ahead 10 seconds, go ahead. Uh, but the premise of the movie is Tigger realizes that he is the only Tigger. He's the only one of him. And so he wants to find his family and his friends are, are, are trying to convince him, let him know that he is loved, that he is cared for. Um, and, and they throw him a party and there is no convincing him that, that he is part of them. And so he storms off into a blizzard. And it is around the time that he storms off into the blizzard that my mom is also having to storm out of the movie theater carrying me because I am in hysterics over the fact that Tigger does not have a family. The, the, as the tale goes, legend has it, the movie staff felt so bad for my mom and me that they gave us free tickets. It was, it was dramatic. It was a scene to behold. Now, here's the deal. I, I, when I feel emotions, tend to cry. If I am sad, if, if still to this day, when people die in movies and TV shows, pff, crying. Um, when I'm like, super excited, crying. If I'm like nostalgic, crying. It, it's a thing, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on it. It's not as bad as it used to be. Uh, there's growth, there's all these things happening. But there was about a three year stretch of my life where I just assumed that everybody else had a lot of feelings, but they just stuffed them down, like they were better at managing them than I am. Um, and so I just tried to not have feelings because it didn't appear that everyone else was having the same strong reaction that I was having, right? This was just my assumption based on what I was seeing. And so I tried to get rid of them because emotions were the thing that, that got me made fun of. It was the thing that people would use to sometimes manipulate me. Um, it was the thing that sometimes I would get labeled that people wouldn't take me seriously like because I was emotional and I didn't want that anymore. So I was trying to, to shut it down and one day I was in counseling and I said to my counselor, um, you know, I can't watch any sad movies right now in this season. Um, it's, just, it's just too much, I have really strong reactions. And she's like, Erica, not everybody walks around having feelings all day like you do. 
I was like, excuse me, what? Because I assumed that everybody was having tons of feelings. Nope, was not the case at all. And so I've had to learn, how do I make peace with those feelings? How do I use those feelings? How do I acknowledge that I have feelings? And having feelings isn't something that is inherently bad, wrong, or sinful because Jesus also had feelings. We're going to look today at how Jesus had feelings, had heartbreak, and was motivated through it. Now, this idea of heartbreak tends to only uh, be talked about in terms of like love lost. And that's not the thing. What is the story that you hear that grips your heart? That means that you can't go about the rest of your day without shaking this story that you heard? What, is, what are the moments that you hear about that change how you live your day or your life, stir something up in you that you just can't quite seem to get rid of? That's heartbreak. That's having a feeling and an emotional reaction. And we get to look today at how Jesus handled heartbreak and what we can learn from it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38 together today. And something that is always helpful for us to remember when it comes to reading the Bible um, is that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four gospels tell us about how Jesus lived his life on earth. But each of them was written by a different author. Therefore, they're going to have some different perspectives. They're going to tell the same stories. You'll find a lot of overlapping stories, but you'll quickly find that maybe they're told in, in a different order, a different style. They've emphasized something different. And that doesn't mean that they got the story wrong. It just means that they are highlighting something different. And so in Matthew, one of the things that Matthew was really passionate about was making sure that his audience knew that Jesus was greater than Moses. And so that's why stories are told the way that they are, and that's why they're told in certain orders and highlighting certain things. And so in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, here's what we're coming off of. Jesus has just finished performing four miracles, bringing a dead girl back to life, healing a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, restoring sight to the blind, and casting out demons that allowed a man to speak again. And everywhere Jesus is going, he is bringing life to people. And that could be through the miracles that he is performing or through the next words that he speaks. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is traveling anywhere and everywhere he can. And he is telling people about the goodness of the kingdom of God and that it is present. And like we already established, he is performing miracles left and right for people. And everywhere he goes, like people are noticing. And I'm not super familiar with all the ins and outs of how they communicated with one another. But crowds are drawing to him everywhere he goes. And some people are drawing close to Jesus 
for his life and his love and the goodness and the truth that he is bringing. And some people are coming close to Jesus to scoff, scorn, and mock not just Jesus, but the people that are following him. That's what we see in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He's looking out at these people who have drawn close and they are not safe. And a shepherd's one job is to protect the sheep. Now I had to do some Googling on sheep because uh, it's, I, I, I don't live that life. You know, this is not a thing that I know about. And here's what I learned. Everything I've, a lot of the things that I've heard anecdotally is that like sheep are dumb. Sheep actually aren't that dumb. They can, they're incredibly intelligent. They can solve long-term problems that they have. But even if they are smart, they are incredibly vulnerable. They're not vicious. They're still fluff balls, but they're just like smart fluff balls, you know? And the job of the shepherd, the job of whatever person who is in charge of someone or something else is to protect, is to make sure that things are okay. And, and just like you and I, we can be incredibly intelligent, but we still need the protection of Jesus. And so he is looking out and he is seeing these people and he has, he has lived on earth with them. He loves them and he cares for them. And there's heartbreak because he is seeing, while there is simultaneously goodness in humans, he is also seeing their torment. He has an emotional response. He has compassion. The word compassion is defined as quality of showing kindness or favor, of being gracious, or of having pity or mercy. But the root word in Greek that I am not going to try to pronounce here for you today um, is affection, but in word parts. And that word in Hebrew actually shares the same root word as a mother's womb. Compassion is something that grows, stirs in the deepest parts of us and turns into action. I think about my friends who have become parents. They prep and they fawn over this baby that they have not even met yet. And then it, it stirs them to action once the baby arrives, to feed, to clean, to think ahead, to make plans, to set up savings accounts for like little babies that don't even understand finances. It's amazing. It's so cool. And Jesus, in being 100% God and 100% human, he is having an emotional response. He is having compassion. Having emotions, having compassion, being stirred by something is not an inherently sinful thing. It is what we do with our emotional responses that matters. Jesus, just like you and just like me, experienced heartbreak. And if being the savior of the world doesn't make you immune to it, then why do we try to be immune to it? We can't build up our walls and shut off our emotions or try to pretend like this world isn't moving us because it is and it should. Even though life on earth isn't the final thing for all of us, it has to matter. It's where God has us living. Jesus came and lived here. It has to matter. And in our heartbreak, our move has to be compassion. It grows inside of us small, often imperceivable, and soon enough it cannot be ignored and we have to do something about it. So what was Jesus's compassionate response? Let's read verse 37 again. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into his harvest field. Jesus' first move of compassion is to turn to his closest people, those who would have learned from him, those who would have had experiences with him, those that he would have trusted to do work and ministry. And he first tells them to pray. Then he tells them to take action. I once heard a pastor say, we don't only pray, but we pray first. We pray that God would move workers, move people to help other people. And we pray that God would move us and then we do something about it. The difference between Jesus and many of us in heartbreak is that he did not shut down. He stayed open to how God would work and redeem in the situation that he was in. There's another moment in Matthew chapter 14 um, that, that looks pretty similar to what we have just walked through, uh, but it like ties it up nicer because this verse, Matthew chapter nine, this is the end of Matthew chapter nine, and then it goes into Matthew chapter 10 and he sends out his disciples. He's like, hey, go, go do stuff, go do ministry, go be in communities, go be in towns. But in Matthew chapter 14, like the story is all self-contained and those are sometimes nicer stories to tell because we all know that these kind of, unended, un not wrapped up nicely ones, they can be harder to work from. But in Matthew chapter 14, what happens is Jesus is traveling on a boat and he comes to a shore. And again, he is moved by compassion, moved to compassion from the crowds that have gathered to see him and to learn from him. And, and, and in his compassion, he begins to heal the people are, that are there. And there are thousands upon thousands of people that are there. And the disciples are standing around and they're looking and they're like, ooh, yikes. Um, hey, Jesus, here's the deal. There's a lot of people here. And like, we weren't quite prepped for all of these people. So I think you're gonna have to send them home. Like it's the end of the day, they're hungry. Um, you're gonna have to reheal all of these people who then like pass out from exhaustion. That's, just, that's not effective, that's not efficient. Uh, you know, make the, make the tough choice, call it. That's what I would have said. And that was kind of the disciples vibe. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't have to send them away. You do have to feed them. And they're like, excuse me, what? He's like, we're, we're gonna feed these people. And they're like, we're not prepared. We did not hit up the Costco snack aisle before we came here. Like, what, what, what do we do? And they find five loaves of bread and two fish. And the food is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And it says that 5,000 men plus all of the women and children that were there. So, so I'm assuming probably, ten, you know, 10,000 people. I don't know. I, math is not my strong suit. Anyways. More than 5,000 people are fed from this on this day. Jesus has compassion and he has moved to action to heal. And he is now saying to the disciples, look, you and your heartbreak, because it was probably heartbreaking to see all of these sick people who had overwhelming need. And their move was like, someone else can solve this problem. They can go back to their towns and find food. Jesus is saying, no, you have to step in. You have to engage. When there's heartbreak, our move has to be compassion. Our move cannot be to ignore. It cannot be to say, oh, woe is me, woe is the world, whatever will we do? It can't be to ignore it. It can't be to build up walls. It means that we have to do something. I've started telling people now, like, if I'm not crying, it means that I am no longer open to what God is doing around me. We have to keep ourselves open, even in heartbreak, to doing something. 
We have to begin trusting that the Holy Spirit is actually going to stir something up within us to make the move, to do the thing. It means that we have to actually do something. Jeff, our Graham campus pastor, he loves to quote all the time, Galatians uh, chapter five, uh, verse, verse 22, where it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So often when people see heartbreak, they, they, they hope that like the, the, the clouds will part, sun will, sun will shine down, and there will be a super clear, easy path forward to step in and solve the heartbreak that they are facing. And that's not the case at all. But if what is stirring up inside of you is in line with those things, love, peace, kindness, goodness, run with it. Go with it. It doesn't mean it will be perfect. It doesn't mean that there won't be roadblocks. Like moving in compassion is still really clunky and awkward, just like everything else. And moving in compassion does not stop us from ever experiencing heartbreak again. You will continue to experience it. It will continue to show up. You will continue to have to navigate it. But that's okay. Jesus experienced heartbreak, we will experience heartbreak and we will be okay, we will come to the other side, but our move has to be compassion. This wasn't the first time in this moment that Jesus would have experienced heartbreak and it wasn't the last time. He wept, he celebrated, he cried out in pain and in those moments he turned towards God, not away from God. Jesus gets us. He experienced life in our human bodies with a bunch of other humans who messed up from time to time to time to time. You, you, you get it. And he actually says here in these verses that humans are part of the answer. He says, pray that there will be workers. When we make a difference, we are answering the prayers of Jesus. You have the ability to answer the prayers of Jesus when you channel your heartbreak into compassion. So where do we start? Great question. Thank you so much for asking. Well, one of the first things that we have to do is we, there's some work that we have to do in ourselves. We have to first identify where is the heartbreak that draws us closer because the minute, the minute we look past the end of our own noses, the minute we actually engage in the world around us, we can be overwhelmed, defeated, and discouraged by the heartbreak that we are witnessing. But what is the thing, the one, that you particularly, uniquely feel called to? Then begin to make a list of all of the things that you're good at or that you enjoy doing cleaning, organizing, leading groups, running, running things online, social media campaigns. I don't know what it is. Make those lists and you'll begin to see where your heartbreak is and where your skill set are. And there will be a spot where it overlaps. That is your place to step in and you will find things local to where you are and you will find things global to where you are. But all of it is an invitation to step in you would be amazed at what is lurking around every corner, an opportunity for you to serve. But if your first move in heartbreak is to shut down, retreat in, be by yourself, and you don't ever move from like having feelings to doing something about it, you are missing how God can redeem situations. 
Something that we've started doing over the last few years here at Rainier View is called Difference Maker Sundays, where we take some Sundays out of the year and we wanna highlight the different ministries and the different needs that are directly located in our church. And if you are joining us online, there are ways for you to connect and make a difference here at Rainier View. Keep your eyes out because there's a way for you to do it 100% online. There are some unique needs in terms of, of video editing and, and helping with some different social media stuff. But there are also ways that if you are local to Rainier View and you are able to engage with us in person, that we would love to also help you connect in person. Because when we make a difference, we respond to heartbreak in the same way that Jesus did, and we actually answer his prayers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Take your next step and make a difference. Move in compassion. Thank you.